0: That song just really moved me. (laughs) So, last time, from last time I was here, um, we lost my mom in March. And you know, that is such a strong testimony song, right? That's what faith is. And that's what we're talking about this summer. And someday we will see her again, and we'll stand with the angels and the spirits singing glory to the Lord. Well, This summer at Skyview, we've been learning about faith, haven't we? And that sounds like something that we should be learning in a spiritual community, so good on you, right? But faith is more than just about a set of beliefs. It's a way of living. Just like it's the way that our biblical ancestors lived outside of their world and culture of which they were living in. And like those who've gone before us, faith is the same for us as well. A way of living. So what does it mean to have biblical living in our day? And two weeks ago we heard from Pastor Brittany as she shared from Hebrews 11 about a whole narrative of people who trusted God and placed their faith in Him alone through God's eyes. And faith was real to the people of the Bible, wasn't it? And their stories, their testimonies are so important. They give us hope. And so we got to hear Pastor Brittany's journey of faith and we learned that we too can have faith based on other people's testimonies, much like Fabian had after hearing Pastor Brittany's witness. And then last week, Pastor Ryan continued our series by faith when he took us to the place where only God carried us through and he reminded us of the importance of remembering of opening up that family album, as it were, and remembering the stories of God's faithfulness, telling them to our children and to our children's children, like the Israelites who journeyed through Exodus and who struggled to reach the promised land. We are to also live in faith, remembering that God was faithful before, and he continues to be faithful. And one day, all things will be made new. So let us live then as if we really believe that, right? And so today, it's an honor to join you in looking again at this book of Hebrews, this time in the 12th chapter. So would you stand with me as we pray together the prayer of illumination? Holy God, by your spirit, enlighten us, illumine us. Inspire us, not for our sakes, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom we live. Amen. And Would you follow along with me from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come. To God himself, who is the judge over all things, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness Instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow. This passage is so full of imagery, isn't it? And strong emotive language. What an addition to the messages in our series this summer by faith. And verse 18 speaks of a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind. And then did you catch it in verse 29, that last verse? It speaks again about how God is a devouring fire. So what emotions stir up within you when you think of a fire? Well, my uncle, Nolan Herring, never once lit the wood fireplace in their home that they had lived in for 33 years. Why? Because as a child, there was a fire in his home, and it was very scary for the little boy, and he has never forgotten that. And now in their little retirement home, he worries about the natural gas fireplace, the natural gas stove, even the propane barbecue out on their deck. He has quite a fear of fire. For some of us, though, There is nothing like the lingering smell of a good old campfire, isn't there? Right? Watching that blue-orange flame and hearing the crackling of the wood, doesn't it evoke feelings of cozy, relaxing, of friendship? You may recall last summer, right here in Calgary, when we had days of such poor air quality from our forest fires over in BC, right? Air advisories had to go out asking people with breathing issues to remain indoors, and there was this thick, smoky haze over all the city. Now, I have a nephew who is in his fifth year of tree planting up in northern Alberta, and he's sharing with us the actual importance of forest fires. Now, while about 80% of forest fires are started by human carelessness, 20% are started naturally through lightning strikes, for example. And they can actually benefit this delicate balance of ecosystems because sometimes invasive insects or plants or fungus will take over an area and a fire helps eliminate those dangers. Thick underbrush can occur or big heavy canopies over top and it prevents that next generation of growth. And so a fire will come through and clear all that out and allow new plants to emerge. So fire can help get rid of dead, rotting matter and put nutrients back into the ground again. You see, there's a cleansing, as it were, from what was choking out new life and gives room for flourishing to happen. And so fire is an important symbol in the Bible. And if you are new to reading the Bible, I'm going to be sharing some stories this morning quickly from both the very beginning which is in Exodus, and then towards the very end in the book of Hebrews. And so you may not know these stories, and I hope if not, you will take time to read some of them. And if you're unsure where to find them, please come and speak with one of our pastor staff, because we would love to help guide you to where to find them in your Bible. But as I said, fire is significant in the Bible. And it's a symbol of the presence of God and the holiness of God. And this is where we turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Now in these verses, we read of two mountains, don't we? And fire is found on both of them. And so I want us to look first at the mountain identified as Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai still in existence today, this is a real picture of that mountain. And I hope that you've at least heard the story about that great exodus where this man named Moses led the Israelite people, over a million of them, away from captivity in Egypt, and God spared those slaves, and he parted the Red Sea for all those people to walk through, and then he closed those walls of water onto the Egyptian pharaoh's army, and all of the chariots and horses, and the Israelites ran free. Well, while they are on their journey, the Israelites came to Mount Sinai. It was physical. You could touch it. You could point to it on a map, and as those Israelite people who had seen God do some incredible things, right? The 10 plagues, their escape in the night, the parting of the Red Sea. Listen to what is told them about Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verse 12. It says, the Lord warns Moses as Israel draws near to the base of this mountain. And he says, you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Not even a timeout. You're putting to death. And then three days later after that, the people saw this mountain engulfed in fire and smoke. And they heard the increasing crescendo of a trumpet. And wow, that frightened the people. Even the leader Moses was afraid. Now, had Moses seen the holiness of God in fire before? Yeah, absolutely. Remember the story of the burning bush, right? And the people of Israel seemed to understand this symbol of fire as the holiness of God. And so they said to Moses, Moses, you go up the mountain and hear from the Lord. And then come tell us what he said. Because we don't want him to speak to us. We might die. You see, these people were aware that even contact in a non-direct way with God's holiness was not okay. I mean, even animals could not be on this holy ground. So, what does this description of God through the fire and the smoke and the trumpets and the terrible voice that shook that imposing mountain? What does that tell the people of Israel? Uh, how about God is not approachable, right? Stand back, right? The people had a significant respect for God's holiness and where he dwells, but we're not messing with them. Which really, doesn't it cause you to wonder, when they experienced that, how they were still able to build the golden calf to worship at the bottom? How they were able to disobey God time and time again? How they're able to grumble to him or about him, to complain. God is fire on Mount Sinai. And then our passage this morning draws our attention to a second mountain. And this mountain is also imposing, but the writer describes it with more than one name, with different names, doesn't he? Now, there is actually a physical mountain called Mount Zion. And this is where King David moved the Ark of the Covenant, where King Solomon built his temple, where the movie was made. No, I'm kidding. But it became the symbol for the people of where heaven meets earth, on Mount Zion. And this is how the Hebrews writer also calls Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the assembly of God's firstborn children, You have come to God Himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus. Now, remember that Mount Sinai was that place on the map that it could be touched. And yet, we're told here in verse 18 that this Mount Zion described here is not a mountain that can be touched. So what does it look like on Mount Zion? Well, we're told that on the mountain, there will be innumerable angels in festival gathering. What is innumerable? Innumerable is so many angels that they cannot be counted standing before the throne of God in worship. And we can see them. We can join them in worship. As all of us whose names are written in the book of life, that means all of us are firstborn ones. Now, by the way, I'm a firstborn. doesn't mean I had special privileges in my home. Everyone got treated the same. But sometimes we consider that special firstborn ones receive the blessing, right? Like with Esau and Isaac. All of us are like firstborn ones in the Lamb's book of life. And we enjoy special privileges because of our birthright. Now, we're told in the scriptures that there also were angels back on Mount Sinai. But the thing is, the people couldn't see them. They were too far away. But this passage is saying we will see these innumerable angels on the heavenly Mount Zion. And what does that last sentence tell us in verse 29 while on Mount Zion? God is a consuming fire. Fire. So let me ask you this which mountain shows us the true God? Mount Sinai or Mount Zion? And the answer is yes. They both do. And it's so hard to understand, isn't it? These two images of God. The first one where God has this uncompromising holiness. And there seems to be no sympathy for sinners whatsoever. It's all about the law. And we're to stand back and not come near. But then we see the second image of God who's loving. And there's this open invitation to come near. And he stands ready in all of his righteousness and his holiness to welcome with forgiveness all who come to him. Now, Frederick Bore stated, God, we learn through scripture, is a fierce God of judgment and holiness. God, who is beyond all comprehension, is also a God of nearly incredible mercy and sacrificial love. But then he goes on to suggest that to worship either of these two images at the expense of the other, like to worship God as either this just judge who demands righteousness and punishes sinners, or the God who revealed to us through the love and forgiveness and mercy of his Son If we're to choose one over the other, it's to worship a God which is created after our own likeness, our own likes and dislikes. You see, neither one without the other points us to the God of the entire Bible. I don't know which one you lean towards. I think we all have our biases. But we need to learn to accept and appreciate and worship the God of both the mountains. Joseph Cunningham, a minister from First Free Methodist Church in Saginaw, challenged me when he questioned this way. He says, don't we do this sometimes? Don't we force God into our own particular mold? And don't we reduce his holiness to a list of do's and don'ts, to a rule book that must be followed with uncompromising rigidness? And don't we sometimes treat holiness as something that is static? like having good manners or being polite, when in fact, Jesus teaches us that it's something much more powerful and transformative, something much more radical, something that demands our whole lives and requires a complete sacrifice of self. What are the boundaries that you and I place on God that he so desperately wishes to cross As we work to share about his love with other people. Friends, if you and I are coming to God, we must embrace that God of the whole Bible, not just the picture that we deem more palatable. Now, my daughter, Ray Lee, graduated from Simon Fraser University in the beautiful city of Vancouver, BC, and she received a Bachelor of Fine Arts majoring in dance. Now, the Fine Arts Building is located downtown on Hastings Street, which was fine, Mama, she survived. But it's downtown close to the waterfront in the old Woodwards Building. You can see the W up there on the top. And it really is a beautiful place to study if you're a dance student. So in her dance studio, two of the walls are floor-to-ceiling windows. And so you can be at the bar, you know, that long thing that ballet students use. And while you're doing that, your stretches, you can people-watch all those down below or across the street in their apartments. And they, in turn, can watch you bend and twist and move in ways not suited for normal people. But the other two walls are floor-to-ceiling mirrors. Right? So if you're tired of watching life move on by, you can watch yourself bend and stretch in the mirror. Well, within the first couple of weeks of Rayleigh's studies, one of the staff members came to the class and held a special meeting with all the students. And the topic was how to protect yourself in the event of an earthquake. Now, those of us who grew up in Alberta, we did not have that. We learned what to do in case of a fire, but never an earthquake. And you see, it turns out that Vancouver is part of the ring of fire. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. A natural part of the earth's crust, where it's predicted, I'm sorry if you're hoping to buy real estate in Vancouver, it might not be there in 50 years, right? Because they say this severe earthquake is about to, bound to happen in the next 50 years at any time somewhere along this ring of fire. Now, if you're on the sixth floor of the Woodwards building and your room is all glass and windows or mirrors, where's the safest place to go in the event of an earthquake? Well, the students were told... You run to the middle of the room and you crouch down and cover your head. Can you believe it? In other words, you run and hope for the best because your whole world is going to be moving and shaking with sharp pieces of glass and mirror all running around you, right? Exodus chapter 19 verse 18 and Hebrews 11 verse 26 tell us all God did was speak on Mount Sinai. And when he did that earth trembled. No wonder the people were terrified. Smoke, fire, a voice from the mountain, a trumpet blaring, and the earth moving around you, shaking and moving. It makes me wonder, did they run and crouch down and cover their hands and hope for the best? Verse 26 says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now... He makes another promise. He says, Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation is going to be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Friends, this is a promise. This is going to happen. So what are these unshakable things that will remain? Don't you want to know? Because I do. Let's consider verse 28. This original language from which the word shakable comes means to be cast down from one's secure or happy state, to be moved or to disturb one, to agitate the mind. And it says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful And please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Now Mount Sinai was all about the law. That which was temperable, touching, decaying, seeing, physical properties. All that is shakable. Our state of mind can be changed. If these Mount Sinai things are shaken and cast aside, can't they? Our homes, our jobs... Our families, our way of doing worship, our way of life, those are shakable things. But unshakable is Mount Zion, which is a spiritual place. Only that which is spiritual will remain after the earth and the heavens have been shaken. So what remains are those things that will not change regardless of your physical surroundings. Peace, contentment. Love of Christ. And I want us to notice something just briefly here. If we get down just a little bit into the nigglies. The present tense of this verse. It says, since we are receiving. We are right now in the process of receiving this kingdom. Now on Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator, wasn't he? Between God and the people. But today, by faith, if you have come to Jesus who is the mediator on Mount Zion between God and the people. You are now in the kingdom, and we have yet to enter the kingdom. There's a now and a yet to come. And this will be culminated when Jesus returns again to deliver the kingdom of God. This kingdom, this Mount Sinai, this physical thing will, never, will be destroyed, but this one here, Mount Zion, will stand forever. God has spoken on Mount Sinai, and the Earth trembled, but on Mount Zion, God has spoken through His Son and declared His love for all man, even you. even me. See, by dying, Jesus removed that barrier of sin so that you and I, we can approach God confidently. We don't need to worry about whether or not God is going to strike us dead for our sins. We don't need to worry about whether or not God will hear us when we pray. We know that we can go to him through Jesus, and he will hear us. So let us enter the most holy place, Mount Zion, the place where God is, and worship with holy and awe. Now, I have to close this morning with a word of caution. Just because we can enter God's presence with confidence does not mean that we do so haphazardly or flippantly, right? The one who speaks is a consuming fire. And the God of Mount Zion is also the God of Mount Zion. Verse 25 says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Now, my friends, you may be tempted to go back to Mount Sinai. After all, it's more familiar to us, isn't it, as we look back. We can see it, and we have security there because it's comfortable, we know what to expect. And who doesn't want a little certainty in these uncertain days? I get that. But you know what awaits us? Back on Mount Sinai, a lack of assurance in God's love, a lack of assurance in our forgiveness of sins, we would be going back to a false sense of security that if I do enough, or say enough, or give enough, then I will be invited to the kingdom. Then we get our identity by the mountain and what we have on that mountain. And do you remember about Mount Sinai? It's shakable. Remember that? And so I urge you today, do not refuse the one who is speaking to you this morning. By faith, you are being invited up another mountain. And this journey might seem just as frightening, but it's where you belong. You were loved at Mount Zion, you were forgiven, you were accepted, and you are unshakable. Do you remember in chapter 11 of Hebrews that Abraham was looking forward to being home? Zion is that home for Abraham. And by faith in Christ and through Christ alone, you and I are invited up Mount Zion with Moses and Abraham and the myriad of faithful followers of God. We're invited with the disciples, the apostles, the early church fathers, the famous theologians, the lowly servants who profess to know Christ. And you, you are invited as firstborn children of God. Can you imagine the day? Verse 25 warns us, this is a warning, that there will be those who turn to Mount Sinai and they die a physical death. What eternal death will we suffer if we reject the one who is speaking to us? holy God himself. There is a lot at stake this morning for the faith decisions that you make today. And I want to invite you to come and let God consume you as a holy fire. Let him purify you. I want to remind us this morning that fire is also used to transform elements into permanency, isn't it? An alloy when consumed by fire, becomes steel. It's hardened and tempered, just like many of your ab muscles this morning, right? They're just hard and firm. It's interesting, though, that some elements are consumed completely while others are transformed. You know what the difference is? It depends on the material that's put through the fire. By faith, God is fire. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, you have brought us to a place of awe. And you brought us into your presence through Christ, through his own payment for our sins, through his death on the cross. Oh God, we confess those times when we have imposed legalism on ourselves and others, and we've called it holiness. I'm asking this morning, O God, that you would bring healing to people and to places when we have led them to Mount Sinai. Would you open our eyes to the beauty and the awesomeness and the glorious future of Mount Zion? And you have brought each one of us here today into this beautiful worship setting. So increase our faith, O God, as we journey with one another, confident in your love, aware of your holiness and anticipating the time when all that is unshakable remains because that is what we are investing in. God, may we not be consumed but be transformed through your holy fire. From glad and grateful and humble hearts, we worship you. Amen.